Well, thank you. <clears throat> thank you so much. It's great to be back with you all. I got to be here last summer. I was here in June around Father's Day. And I, I, I love this church, but to come back and now see your kids' area and uh, the expansion that you're doing in the lobby and the church growing and just this great excitement that you all have, even in the summer, I just want you to know I'm, I'm honored to, to be back. Uh, I got to spend some time with your staff on Thursday and a little bit on Saturday as well. And you all, I hope you realize how blessed you all are to have just an awesome staff and You've got a lot of great folks. You can clap for that. That's, that's awesome. Uh, <clears throat> I just say it because I don't want you to take that for granted. And uh, Dan is not just a, a great preacher, but he's become a really good friend. And we love he and uh, Carolina and uh, enjoy any chance that we get to, to spend time with them. And additionally, I, I always like a guy who can have fun but also has a, a spiritual maturity about him. But he, he can have a lot of fun. We got to play golf on Thursday. And whenever you play golf with, with Dan, there's a lot of praying that goes on, all right? Uh, but there was one hole in particular where he had a shot and he had pushed it off to the side and he had just a forest of trees right in front of him, right on his line. And I said, you're just going to punch out over to the side? He said, oh, no, no. He said, there's a pathway. There's a pathway through there. I said, I don't think you can make it. He said, oh, no, there's a pathway. So let me show you his pathway. I filmed it. All right, watch this. There. The man, the myth, the legend, through the forest. <laughs> and that's the, that's the church leader that I want to trust. I'll follow him anywhere. Yeah, well, uh, I want you to know he, he loves his flock. He, he loves God's word. He loves to pray. And obviously, you don't have to question he's spending too much time playing golf, all right? Uh, but uh, we did have a, a lot of fun. Now, you all are in a series called Yield, and it's all about submission. And the topic uh, that we have for today that I was assigned was submit to church leaders. Now, I know you wanted to break into applause there, but that's all right. You held on to it. Good, good. But it sounds like, you know, oh, submit to church leaders. We're going to talk about that. Well, you know what? The church never talks about that. And it's something that we need to talk about. You have great leaders here at this church. There are great leaders in, uh, that, that pour into you. So how is it that we can come alongside of them? And leadership can be a daunting and uh, taxing and difficult uh, task before us. And if God has called you to lead or gifted you in that regard, then it's incredibly fulfilling to use that gift to his glory. And God set up the church as a body of believers where imperfect leaders would lead imperfect people by pointing them to the only one who is perfect, Jesus Christ. And so that's what we want to do. We just want to take a look at, at leadership today, and we want to talk about how it is that we can have that attitude of submission, the, the right spirit when we're within the church. Now, here at church, the elders are to be the, the spiritual leaders. There are a lot of leaders within the church. There are people on staff. There are uh, ministry leaders, there's life group leaders, there's youth, youth leaders. You can name another 10 types of leaders. But the elders are commissioned scripturally to be the spiritual overseers of the church. Now, there are three words that are used in, in the Bible uh, to describe the role of the elder. There is the elder, there is a shepherd, and there is overseer. That's all one, one role. And all of them have at the heart of them this idea of, of having a pastoral heart, 
of caring for people. And what I want to do is I want to divide this talk into three different areas. And the first area that I want to talk about is the responsibilities of, of the elders, of the church leaders. Now, this is a, a group of respected individuals. They love the Lord. They, they love people. They're, they're godly men. And there are a lot of responsibilities that they have. I want to talk about four of them real quickly. The first is elders are to care for the flock. Uh, we're going to take a look at a passage in 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to kind of just work our way through that. In 1 Peter chapter 5, in the opening verses, it, Peter says, To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them. So once again, there's that idea of a shepherd caring for the flock and, and looking out for their, for their needs. They're spiritual overseers. They're, they're there to help them out. Here's the second responsibility of an elder. That's to protect the church. And elders have a, an extra set of eyes. They look at things from the perspective of protecting the bride of Christ and the reputation of the church. Because what's the purpose of the church if we don't look any different than the world? And so we, we have to make certain that we're on the lookout for that. Now, when I was starting out in ministry, I was a, I was a youth minister at a church, and it's about 38 years ago. Uh, and the elders of this church, they said to me when I, when I came on staff, they said, hey, our church uh, camp attendance in the summer has been really paltry. We, we would love for you to make that a high priority in your ministry, is getting more kids to go to, to church camp in the summer. I said, great, thanks for telling me that. I'll make it a priority. So I went to work, and I came up with this. I developed this poster uh, to kind of encourage the kids to go to church camp, and I was all excited. And this is back in snail mail time, so I mailed it to every kid, third grade through 12th grade, in our entire youth groups, all right? and sent them this poster they could put up uh, at their house. Well, about three or four days later, uh, an elder said, hey, we're going to have a, a special elders meeting. We'd like for you to come. Well, I, I'd never been invited to an elders meeting. I thought, wow, this is great. So I was so pumped up, I got invited to an elders meeting. Well, I came in. As I walked in the room, I noticed that one of the elders had my camp poster kind of folded up there. And I thought, wow, that's kind of strange. And so they opened with prayer and then said, we've called this meeting because uh, a few of the elders are concerned about the camp poster that you sent out to everyone. I said, whoa, what, what? So they opened it up. I had all the camp dates down there. And then on one side, I had a real big picture of Elvis Presley, and I put underneath it, camp worship leader. You know, I thought that was really funny. And uh, evidently, you did not. Uh, <laughs> So I had this picture of Elvis, and then next to it, I had, this is where I got in trouble, I had a picture of Marilyn Monroe, okay? And it's a beautiful picture of Marilyn Monroe, and she's kind of sultry and kind of sexy, and it wasn't a revealing outfit or anything, but, you know, it was Marilyn Monroe, and I put underneath that, I put camp lifeguard, you know? And... Uh, so the elders, you know, only two or three of them had seen it, and so they started to say, I didn't see that, let me see that, and they'd pass it over, and they'd go, wow, yeah, wow, oh, let me see it, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, and they'd pass it on around, and uh, so I, I learned that you're not supposed to put a picture of Marilyn Monroe and then send it to all your kids so that they can put it on, on their wall in their house, all right? 
But in my defense, camp attendance doubled that year, (laughs) all right? I'm just saying, okay? But looking back, I commend those elders because they were just protecting the church. They were just protecting the purity of its reputation in town. Because at the heart of an elder is a desire to protect the bride of Christ and to advance the mission of the church. I like what John Ortberg says. He says, your worth to God in public is only as strong as your worth to him in private. And church leaders, whether you work with young people, whether you work with a life group, whether you work with men's groups or women's groups or discipleship or whatever your area might be, just acknowledge that, that God is God, that, that, that you are not, that he has called you to leadership and regularly feast from his word, worship weekly, talk to God regularly. You know, the, the elders can protect the doctrinal purity of what is being taught, and if they don't do that, I have seen false teaching, I've seen bizarre behavior, legalism sprout from people rejecting church and refusing to place themselves under the authority of a church. And every elder won't always agree with one another, and you won't agree with everything that every elder decides. But that's why God set it up so that there is a plurality of elders. It's not one person calling the shots. It's the collective wisdom of people that you have deemed worthy of being called a spiritual leader or overseer within the church. Well, here's the third responsibility for the elders, and that is to serve for the right reasons. We look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 2. It says, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. If you've taken the DNA class here, uh, then you, you learned more about the role of an elder. And the church shouldn't elect people to the elder board or even hire people on staff who are on an ego trip or people who just want to lead for notoriety's sake, to use that title uh, or position for, for gain, personal gain. That's, that's wrong. Jesus said, no, you're different than the leaders of the world. He said, not so with you. You're, you're, you're going to be different. You're going to lead for the right reason. Now, uh, Valley Real Life has seven elders, and you all consider Dan to be one of the elders, and that's very biblical in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17, it says the elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. And so Dan would be referred to as a, as a preaching elder or a teaching elder. And, and so it's important for us to understand that, that these people have these roles and we, we look to them, we pray for them. We encourage them. When was the last time that you thanked an elder for, for what they do here at the church? When was the last time you wrote a note to someone on staff and just said, hey, we, we appreciate what you do? Or gave them a $10 gift card or $20 gift card to someplace just to say, thank you for, for what you do because I know you don't get a lot of thanks. Well, here's the, the fourth responsibility of an elder, and that is to be an example and not the exception. And wearing the the title of elder or of pastor is not a a license to lord it over others. Instead, it's a chance to show what what the Christian life is is to look like, to model a dependence on Christ. 
I asked, uh, I was talking to some of the staff on Thursday, and I asked one of the staff members who has been here for a while, I said, would you give me some words to describe the, the eldership here at Valley Real Life? And he didn't hesitate. He said, humble, godly, and passionate about this ministry. And that's what just rolled off of, off of his tongue immediately when I asked that question. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 3 and 4 says, Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, that's Jesus, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. So this is so cool. Elders are shepherds, but when the elder or the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ, returns, he will give these earthly shepherds the crown of glory. Albert Schweitzer said it like this. He said, example is not the best way of teaching. He said, it is the only way of teaching. Now, you may be listening to this section about leadership, and you say, okay, yeah, but what about when I, when I disagree with an elder's decision? Well, there's going to be a lot of times, the longer you're here, where you might not agree with every decision that the elders make. I worked at the same church for 30 years. I was an elder there for about 17 of those years. The last 17 years, I was a preaching, uh, preaching elder. And there were plenty of decisions through the years that I disagreed with. But you acquiesce, you accept those things. The key is to make certain that you don't let your own personal preference supersede the opinion of someone else. Sometimes there's not a, a, a right or wrong, but somebody's got to lead and say, this is the direction that we're going to go. Here's the second thing that you might be thinking about as I talk about leadership. So you submit to church leaders. You say, oh, yeah, but what about all the stories I hear about all these church leaders that are they're falling or, or failing? Well, here's, here's the good news. For every one story that, that you hear of a church leader who's fallen, there, there are hundreds of stories of a person who's been faithful. And you just don't hear those stories because it doesn't stand out because that's what's expected. That's what you... You, you would expect of a Christian leader. Now, no one is perfect, and we're all going to make mistakes. So here's what we have to come back to. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So you look for those godly principles within your leaders, and that's what you strive to imitate. So we've talked about the responsibilities of the, the elders and the church leaders. Now let's change gears. Let's talk about the responsibilities of the church members, of all of us. So what's, what's our responsibility? Well, we have a lot of ones, but let me just give you one, and that is to be submissive to the leaders of the church. Look at 1 Peter chapter 5. Look at verse 5. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. I love the way that, that Dan started this series off by telling us what submission wasn't. He said, it's, it's not slavery, it's not coercion. No, it's not something that you're, you're, you're made to do. It's, it's something that you want to do. There's a cool passage in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. It says, obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls, and they are accountable to God. Give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. That would certainly not be for your benefit. Some translations say uh, to submit to them. Why? So that their work is a joy and not a burden. 
And so I think that's important for us to remember. We're here to make their, their job a joy, to let them know that we appreciate their sacrifice. And when you disagree with a church leader's decision, then you can disagree without being disagreeable. And you don't need to make a mountain out of a molehill. Now, we're all going to receive criticism. Dwight Moody was a preacher of years gone by, and he used to get a lot of critical letters from from people in his church. And one time, he said, "I, I got an envelope, and it was addressed to me. I opened it up, and there was a piece of paper. It had one word on it. It said, fool. And that was it. And Dwight Moody says, the only time I ever got a a critical letter where they forgot the message, but they signed their own name. (laughs) So there's going to be times where people criticize. I, I, I know that. I've been in ministry for nearly 40 years, and I've had so many shots taken at me publicly, TV, newspapers, people within the church, just so, so many shots taken. And and you just have to say, okay, Lord, I'm, I'm here serving an audience of one and, and, and not anyone else. I'm here to please you. Uh, I, I don't think Dan said it in the introduction. I'm from Kentucky, all right? Um, I preach in Kentucky. I know as soon as I said Kentucky, you all looked to see if I was wearing shoes. I saw you do that, all right? <laughs> yes, I'm wearing shoes, all right? But sometimes I preach at a church in Phoenix, Arizona called Christ Church of the Valley. So I'll fly from Kentucky, I'll go to Arizona, and I preach there about six weekends a year. And I've done that for a few years. But when I first started doing it, I guess I made some jokes about Kentucky and just some stereotypical things about us being hillbillies and some things like that. And after I'd done that two or three times, uh, the next week, the church in Arizona forwarded to my email uh, a critical letter that a, a, a lady had, had written to me from there in Phoenix. And uh, I was kind of intrigued by it, but this is, this is what she said. She said, Dear Dave, please don't tell those jokes about Kentucky. I have moved from Kentucky to Arizona, and you are making things more difficult for us. Because in Arizona, people already literally think that everyone back where I'm from are barefoot and toothless. (laughs) And then she wrote, don't make it any tougher than it is. And she was dead serious. Now, do I just absorb that or do I respond to that? Do I worry over that or do I take valuable time to carefully craft a letter and get my laptop out? I'm so sorry that my exaggerated comments offended you. The intent of my self-deprecating humor was not to make your life more difficult than it is. In the future, I will be more sensitive to the feelings of those who have moved out west from the more rural states. Please forgive me for overstepping that boundary. Now, as a leader, do I I take 15 minutes of my time, or do I just let it go and and move on? And in in that case, I prayed about it. I, I waited a day. And I decided that it just wasn't the best use of my time. It wasn't worth it. Because if I wrote back and explained myself to that former Kentuckian, then they would have to find a friend who knows how to read. (laughs) I'm just saying, you know... uh, My apologies for that joke, okay? (laughs) It's just not worth all that time, right? What I'm saying is this. Choose your battles wisely. 
Decide which ones are worth it and which ones really aren't. And some things you just have to just shake off the dust. Now, here's the last area. We've looked at how leaders uh, should be, be treated. We've looked at how, how it is that members should interact with the church. Let's look at what it is that we as members and leaders do together, the responsibilities of both. Because both groups have two actions that reflect Christ or should reflect Christ. Here's the first one. Be humble in your interaction with others. Pride can lead to jealousy. It can lead to the comparison game. What the heel was to Achilles, what kryptonite was to Superman, is what pride is to humans, all humans, whether you're a leader or whether you're a follower. Look at 1 Peter 5 again, verses 5 through 7. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. So when you confess sin, when you admit weakness, you are crucifying pride. You are inviting God to come in and do a work in your, in your life and in your heart. God won't heal what you don't reveal. And so you have to make certain that you're, you're coming clean with him. You're coming clean with a Christian brother or sister, and you're showing your dependence on God and your interdependence on others. If you don't allow the past to die, it will not allow you to fully live. And when I think about admitting weaknesses, I'm reminded of a prayer time. Uh, our, our, our church back home, uh, our elders at times would anoint uh, church members. I know that might sound like a strange phrase to you. You're saying, oh, what, what is that like? They anoint someone. Well, it's a, it's a biblical practice, and if, if you are really sick, a person could reach out to the elders and ask to be anointed with oil. In our church, what we do is just one of the elders will just dab a little bit of olive oil on, and they'll, they'll make a cross on that person's forehead, and then the elders will come around, and maybe the person's family will come around, and we just pray for that person. And... Several years ago, we had a young, young, young lady in her 30s who uh, had a terminal illness, and she reached out to the elders, and we, we came in, we packed in this small room, and they had a lot of family members there, and everybody just loved this, this godly woman. And uh, so we got ready to, to pray for her, and one of the elders read from James chapter 5, verse 14, and said, is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And so he read that and the elders stood up and said, can we pray for you? And we started to circle around her and she very humbly said, well, before, before you pray, can I read what the next verse goes on to say? She said, the next verse says, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. She said, so be before you pray and anoint me, she said, I need to confess some sins to you all. And as elders, we've done hundreds of anointings. We've never heard anyone say this in the middle of an anointing. And she went on to look at us and she said, I haven't always been respectful of the elders and of their decisions. And at times I've, I've questioned you all 
And today I repent of that. And I ask for your forgiveness. It was a day that none of us will ever forget. As her humility and her honesty and her obedience touched us. And in that moment, as we began to pray for her, I don't think we had ever witnessed such a humble spirit and obedient heart. Confession and vulnerability has a way of deepening community. We don't heal in isolation. We heal in community through honesty, humility, and accountability. But our response typically is, tell me what it takes for God to heal me, but don't muddy the waters by asking me to confess my sins. Tell me about God's grace, but I don't want to hear about God's wrath. Tell me about God's provision, but don't talk to me about tithing. Tell me about God's mercy, but don't tell me to forgive someone else. We think about those things in our own life, and we realize that often we just want the shortcut and we want the quick fix. And yet if we have that spirit of humility, Proverbs 16, 18 says it well. It says, pride comes before a fall. There's a paraphrase of that verse that says it like this. First pride, then crash. And we know what that's like. You know, Peter says something in this passage that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Jesus talks about this repeatedly in the Gospels as well. So here's my point. If you're choosing up sides, if you're choosing up teams for something, what the Bible tells us time and time again is that God is going to be on the side of those who are humble. And so if you willingly choose pride, you are choosing to face off against the God of the universe. I just want to make certain that you know what you're getting into, and you will lose. So be humble. That's our job as leaders and as members. Here's the second responsibility that we have, and that is be obedient to the Spirit's leading You see, when we are submissive to what the Holy Spirit lays on our heart, it is a game changer. Psalm 46, verse 10, God says, be still and know that I am God. And it's tough to let God lead you or speak to you if you aren't listening to him. And that's true whether you are a non-Christian, a church member, or a church leader. My wife Beth and I, we have a friend named Hannah, and Hannah's in her late 20s. She lives in Nashville, Tennessee. And just before the COVID crisis, she was about to get on a flight. And she was in the gate area. And she was just kind of praying to the Lord. And she said, okay, Lord, how do you want to use me today? How how can you use me to your glory? And she sensed that, that God wanted to use her to spiritually encourage whoever it was that, that was seated beside her on the airplane. She hadn't been on the plane yet, and she said, all right, you know, I'm, I'm in, Lord. And she got on the airplane, sat down, the plane filled up, nobody sat next to her. She thought, oh, this is kind of strange. Came time for the flight to leave, the door was still open, and finally at the last minute, one seat left in the whole plane, a gal came walking in with a scowl on her face, mad at the world, kind of rushed her way back to that seat, threw her stuff down, put some stuff in the overhead bin, sat down thrust her backpack underneath, crossed her arms. Obviously, she did not want to talk to anyone. And Hannah said, I thought to the Lord, really? This is the person that you want me to talk to? But after a few minutes after takeoff, Hannah decided to start a conversation with her. And 
And this gal had really bright hair, and she said, I'm fascinated. I love your hair. I love the color. How did you decide what color to choose? And the gal began to warm up a little bit, and she went through that process and explained it to her. And the longer she talked, she unfolded her arms, and they began to discuss life. And this young woman shared her entire life story with Hannah. And Hannah learned that she was going through a divorce right then. And she had a four-year-old. And her four-year-old was staying with someone else. And she said, I'm on this trip right now to try to figure out where it is that we're supposed to live. And she said, whether or not I should ask my parents if I can come back home to live with them. So I'm flying to my hometown where my parents live. She said, I don't know how they'll respond to that. I don't even know if I'll go to the home. She said, we've had some conflict in the past. She said, I've made some mistakes. And I don't know if they'll take me back. And Hannah said, well, you know, God wants you to have a spirit of humility and, and a repentant heart. And the whole time they were talking, Hannah told us that she felt like God was bringing to her mind over and over again, say Jeremiah 29, 11. Say Jeremiah 29, 11. And Hannah, in her mind, is thinking, oh, everybody uses that scripture out of context. I don't want to say that. Everybody always quotes that verse. And so she's having this internal argument with the Lord the whole time she's listening to this young woman speak. And finally, reluctantly, Hannah looks at the girl beside her and says, well, she says, you, you, you know that you need to have a, a, a spirit where, where God will bless it. And she said, you know that God has plans for you. And then she went on and said, in the Bible, in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, it says, God has plans for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope, to give you a future. And when she said that to the girl, the girl immediately began bawling and began bursting into tears. Hannah said, I'm so sorry. She said, I'm sorry if I've offended you or bothered you in any way. And the girl said, oh, no. She said, I know that verse. A godly relative of mine always quoted that verse to me at a very early age. And then she added, I'm crying because before I got on this flight, I prayed to God and I said, if you really are up there, then you have somebody specifically say to me, Jeremiah 29, 11. And she said, if that happened, then I would know that it was okay and I was supposed to go ask my parents if I could come back home. When the Lord speaks, when the Lord leads, will you listen? Will you obey? What if Hannah hadn't been submissive and obedient. Maybe you've brushed it off and turned a deaf ear to the voice of God. Maybe, maybe you're like me, and at times you just get so wrapped up in trying to, to live your own life and do things your way that you just kind of operate in the flesh and you never rely on the Holy Spirit. And so you do as much as you can possibly do, and you think it all depends on you, and the Holy Spirit's up there saying, man, I want to help you. I live inside of you. I could live anywhere I want in the world. I've taken up residency in your heart. Let me ask you a question. 
This wouldn't happen, but if it did, if the Holy Spirit were to completely pull out of your life, would you even notice that he was gone? Or have you been living so much on your own and so dependent on yourself and your own power and strength and what you can accomplish that you don't even consult the Holy Spirit? And you don't even listen to him anymore. What's your next step when it comes to submitting? It'll be different for every one of us. You have to ask yourself, who's on the throne? How can I have a more humble spirit with our church leaders or more encouraging of them? Maybe you're a church leader and maybe your next step is to move toward humility rather than lording it over others. You know, it's great to submit to church leaders, but it's even better when you choose to submit to Jesus Christ. Because when you submit your life to Jesus Christ, the other things have a way of kind of falling into place because you are honoring him with your life and he is the head of the church of which we are a part of. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, uh, we want to be disciples and we want to make disciples. That's what we want to do. And we want to lead people to Christ and we want to do that one at a time and I wonder how many times we, we haven't listened to your spirit when you've laid someone on our heart that we need to reach out to. So Lord, give us your eyes to see and give us your ears to hear. And above all else, Lord, may people be able to sense and know that we have submitted our authority to your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray and all God's people said,